0: as I've kind of heard some feedback um, for how, how God is, on how God has been using that in your lives. So I'm, I'm quite thankful for that. Um, and our text today um, was slated to be Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 to 18. Um, and there, Jesus says, um, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others um, that they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full, but when you fast, put oil on your head, Wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. As I prayed over this, and just kind of this week, and what God wanted us to cover, I said kind of an unrest in my spirit concerning this text, not that it's a bad text, it's not that at all, um, that, that we shouldn't cover it, but I just felt like maybe he had something different. And I think... So I prayed a little bit more and he took me to a different scripture and I, I think part of the reason he did that was what Dottie was mentioning earlier. But sometimes we kind of like buzz through the Easter season and we don't really process who Jesus is and what he did for us. And we're obviously not a terribly like liturgical church, like you know, we we we, we don't have a lot of the tradition that many other churches do, but like I think it's like important though. Take some time and really think through who Jesus is and what He's done. And today, every first Sunday of the month, we celebrate the Lord's Supper, and we're going to do that this Sunday. And that is like at the heart of the Easter story. Um, and so today, um, we're going we're gonna to take a break for this week, next week, and then the following week, which is Easter Sunday. And we're going to focus on um, today. We're going to talk about the Lord's Supper and what that means for us um, as we go into the Lord's Supper. Next week, we're going to talk about Palm Sunday and what happened with, with Jesus and, uh, and his followers then. Next Friday, if you don't know, um, there's a Good Friday service. Good Friday is the day when we remember what Jesus did for us on the cross, him dying on the cross. And we're going we're gonna to join with some other churches to remember that and, and celebrate. Um, I'll be speaking, a few other pastors will be speaking at Valley Baptist Church in Middletown. Um, so we'll, we'll walk that out together, and then the following Sunday, that Sunday is Easter Sunday, and we'll celebrate the resurrection of Jesus together. Then, um, so today um, we're going to look at, at a like I said, a different text. It come from First Corinthians uh, chapter ten. If you have a Bible, turn there. If you have a phone, pull up your app and open up First Corinthians chapter ten. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about the Lord's Supper. Um, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I didn't really think much of the Lord's Supper when I took it. Uh, Even as a young adult, oftentimes I would just kind of go through the motion of taking a piece of bread, and we're going to do it a little differently today. Some of you grew up dipping it in a cup and then taking it. Some of you grew up taking a piece of cracker or bread and eating it and taking a little tiny cup of juice or uh, wine. Some of you have taken wine. Um, And... um, and taking that, and just kind of going through the motion, but sometimes I didn't really process what I was doing and what it was about. And there's like all sorts of stuff going on with the Lord's Supper. We're not going to be able to cover it all today, but we're going to cover one or two aspects of it that Paul f- speaks of in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 15 to 22, and um, try to like apply it to our lives and in our our practice of the Lord's Supper. And then we'll close the service this morning. Um, by uh, celebrating the Lord's Supper together. So, before I read the text, why don't I pray for us? Then we'll read the text, we'll talk about it a little bit, and then we'll celebrate, celebrate the Lord's Supper today. Father, we, um, we thank you um, for speaking to us um, through your word. Uh, we thank you for spending time with us in prayer. We thank you for giving us the opportunity not just to talk to you, but to listen to you. We thank you for changing us in ways that we never could have hoped to have changed ourselves. We thank you that that you have made us each a new creation. And um, that that newly created being we now are um, will endure and live and thrive with you forever throughout all eternity because of what, Jesus, you have accomplished for us on the cross and through the empty grave. And um, we also thank you this morning, Lord, for the gift of community. We thank you that we can be united, not in a hobby or a nationality, um, a blood type, a family name, a a profession, a school, but we can be united in something much deeper and much stronger and much more lasting, and that is in you, Jesus, in your blood. And so we um, today just humbly ask, Lord, that you would be with us, that you would unite us in yourself, that together we could hear from you through your word and be changed by the power of your Holy Spirit, and that we could celebrate together in unity who you are, what you have done so that you could get glory and you could get honor and you could get our praise. So, Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to be together. And we thank you, Jesus, for loving us enough to die and rise for us. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen. I um, Well, let's read the, you know, I, I, I pray sometimes and I, I just, I sense that, like, this is just getting a little too long and I'm saying too much. And I try to be careful of that cuz I cuz as your leader, like I want to lead you into Jesus presence and so I want to be sensitive to our like where we are and our capacity and our ability to kind of like focus in on what we're doing even in prayer times. But there's just so much to talk to the Lord about. Like we could sit here all day. All day and never exhaust like the, the amount or the number of things to praise God for. It's just so good. So good. And um so let's read the let's 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 read this section from his word. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 15 to 22. And this is Paul writing to the Corinthian church and, and this is what he says. He said, or he writes he writes I, I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourself what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And it's not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean then that food sacrificed to an idol, an idol is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have, have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Sometimes I, I read scripture like this and it's just really deep and I get really lost in it. I don't know if that ever happens to you. And I kind of, sometimes I have, a, I, I will just kind of throw in the towel, like, <laughs> kind of like one of those things where, okay, I read it so I can check it off my list, but I don't really process what he's trying to say. And th- this kind of like writing is really hard for me to process sometimes. I don't know if you can relate to that or not. The narratives, like stories in the Bible, I love them. Like I get that. I can relate to the characters. I can see kind of what's going on. But sometimes this kind of content is harder for me. And so I just want to take a few minutes today to try to break it down in a way that if you're like me, we can process and then we can apply in a relevant kind of practical practical way. So Paul's writing to this church that exists in this town called Corinth. It's a city. And um, Corinth is a, like a cultural business and religious center. It's a, it's a big place with lots going on. It had major ports and roads, which made it a, a center for commerce. There was a lot of business activity going through it. And it had several temples, which, is, which established it as a spiritual center for the Greek culture. Now, the combination of power and money and the availability of thought and cultural diversity all combined to make Corinth a place of great influence and transformed it into a society, unfortunately, of great immorality. For example, it was widely known that Corinth was a center for open and unbridled immorality. The worship of Aphrodite fostered prostitution in the name of religion. At one time, 1,000 sacred priestesses or prostitutes served in her temple. So widely known um, did the immorality of Corinth become that the Greek verb to Corinthianize came to mean to practice sexual immorality. It's so like that's how bad it was in, in Corinth. They had a temple, which essentially was a brothel, that was used for worship to Aphrodite. And to Corinthianize came to mean to practice sexual immorality. I mean, it was known all over the known world as that. In addition to the corrupt spiritual practices of the Corinthians, we must also remember the deep regard Corinthians and certainly most Greeks had for the social importance placed upon dining in another person's home during Paul's time. Share, sharing a table with another over a meal was the primary social symbol of acceptance. So, like, if you had somebody into your, into your home, it told the rest of your culture the rest of the people around you that the people who were you were having dinner with, you accepted them. Like, you... You you loved them you 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 brought them in you kind of approved of them like it was a it was a huge it was a huge thing it was like endorsing them basically now several chapters now take that what I just said and we're just going to put that here for a second it's going to apply as we go forward but several chapters before chapter ten and chapter eight Paul began this discussion about food being sacrificed to idols. And he takes a break from that discussion in chapter 9 and the first part of chapter 10, and then he picks back up where we, we started off in verse 15 today of, of, of chapter 10, talking about it again. Back in chapter 8, he's speaking more to eating food sacrificed to, that had formerly been sacrificed to idols in like temple worship. They had actually sacrificed the animal and somehow like used it as part of their pagan worship ritual at the temple. And then it was sold in a market to anybody who wanted to buy it to put on their table. Because they didn't burn it all. They didn't use it all. Like they, some of it was just sacrificed and offered to the pagan idol. And so it was left, and they, they could just sell it. And so they'd sell it in a market. And people could go to this market and buy this meat and take it to their home. Not to worship with it, but just to cook it and eat it. Like we would go to like Giant, or we would go to Aldi, or you would go to Walmart, I almost said Kroger, but we don't have Kroger here, <laughs> it's like downtown, like, or the pig, a Piggly Wiggly, right, that, that's like a good southern one right there, Piggly Wiggly, um, so like, but you would, you would go, and you would be able to just buy this meat, take it home, throw the steak on the grill, and cook it, and have it for dinner, but th- th- when you did that, there was not really necessarily any connection, like, to wor- you weren't worshipping the pagan god by doing that, you were just like, filling your stomach, you were just eating, but there were some believers in the church at the time who really struggled with that because they still couldn't kind of break the connection of the meat to the sacrifice. And, and Paul's saying, they're not connected, basically. It's, it's okay to eat that food, but if some believers in your church just aren't quite there yet, they haven't been able to make that leap, they haven't been able to, to kind of get, get to that point in their spirituality, then don't eat it because you don't want to cause them to stumble. You don't want to cause them to struggle spiritually because you're exercising a right that you have. It's perfectly right and okay for you to eat that meat, but if it causes somebody else to stumble, then you you shouldn't exercise that right. You shouldn't you shouldn't do that. I'm not sure it's like the perfect example, but like there's some like parallel in this. Like I'm allowed to drink alcohol, right? I'm 21 years old. I um, I don't have an issue with like I'm not addicted to it. Like I I'm allowed to drink it. There's nothing like I don't think there's anything biblically that says that I shouldn't drink that. And um but I know that some of my brothers and sisters like really feel strongly about that. Really feel strongly, that it is a sin to drink. And so because of that. I just really don't drink. Like, if any, I guess I should say, I probably do sometimes. Like, I never do it publicly. I'm very careful about that for lots of other reasons. But if one of you ever came to me and said, I'm just really struggling with this because I heard that you might, and I feel like the Bible says this, 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 and this, and I said, well, I actually think it says this and this and not quite what you were saying, and they're still not there. We can continue to have that conversation, and I believe the Holy Spirit will probably help them along their in, in their discipleship and, and growth to probably get there. But in the meantime, I'm just not going to do it because I don't want to cause them to stumble. That's kind of similar, not exactly similar, but kind of similar to what Paul is saying in First Corinthians eight. There's a right that you have kinda like if you that meat, you can eat that meat. It's totally okay to do. There's nothing wrong with it. But if it's causing somebody, so someone else to stumble, don't do it. Just don't do it. And um, in chapter 10, like he, he leaves that section. He talks about a few other things in 9, the first part of chapter 10. And then 15, verse 15 of chapter 10, he comes back to this whole idea of food that has been used in, in the practice of te- temple worship and pagan temple worship. And um, he talks about it... Um, Using it in one's home, and in chapters eight, and and, and then he, he leaves it. He comes back, and essentially here in chapters ten, I'm sorry, verses fourteen to twenty-two, Paul is arguing that the idol or the god that is being worshipped in that pagan temple is actually doesn't really exist because there's no god but one, right? So that god doesn't exist. And and that the sacrifice, the actual product that was sa- that was given to that god, it, it's not <laughs> it's not inherently evil because it was used as a as a sacrifice in a in a temple of worship to a pagan god. Essentially, I think what he's trying to to get at here is that the sacrifice itself is nothing, and the God itself is nothing. But when your heart is engaged in worshipping that God that is nothing, but what's really behind that is a, is a demon, like the, there's actual demons behind these gods, your heart is engaged in worshipping a demon. And so while the God that is in front of that demon is nothing, and the sacrifice itself is just bread or meat, You using it for that purpose becomes wrong. It's like this weird equation where the God is nothing, the sacrifice is nothing. It's like zero plus zero equals something, like one. This weird equation because when your heart gets engaged in actual worship of something other than God, there's a problem. See, the issue is not so much in the physical, but in the spiritual realm for Paul. The physical manifests what's already present in our hearts and the spiritual reality behind the physical idol and our worship of it. This is similar to what Jesus has been saying in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you've heard that it was said, do not murder your brother. But I tell you, don't even be angry with him. It wasn't just the action that he was addressing. It was the heart behind the action. Heart drives action. Paul says, do I mean that, the, that food sacrificed to an idol is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, that's in verses 19 and 20 of our chapter today, of chapter 10. Neither of them are anything on their own. The physical is not really what's at issue here. Paul goes on to clarify this when he says, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God, and I do not want you to be participants with demons. That's in verse 20 of chapter 10. The unseen demonic is the issue. It's what's behind the idol, what's behind the sacrifice in our hearts. What we unite ourselves to. Actually, he uses this word participate in the ESV and the NIV. And in the original language, originally the Bible was written in Greek, right? Or the New Testament was written in Greek. And that, that word for participate in that original language is koinonia. And it's a word that's often um, translated as fellowship. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, when Luke comments, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And Paul uses it again in Philippians 3.10, when he shares about wanting to so closely identify with Christ that his righteousness is yours. And he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. The word... That fellowship that is koinonia in the original language can also be translated as association, community, communion, joint participation, or even intercourse. This word signifies a deep, intimate connection with someone or something else. where a husband is connected to his wife, or wife is connected to her husband in marriage. It's a deep devotion, enjoyed by the most committed of friends. Paul uses this word, or a variation of it, twice in verse 16 of our text today, once in verse 18, and once in verse 20. That's four times in just nine verses. I think he's trying to make a point. Paul seems to be trying to communicate to us, or to the Corinthians, and then to us, by the use of this word, is that we have to choose who we're going to be connected to, who we're going to be in fellowship with, who we're going to be in intimate relationship with. Or who we will. Maybe Jesus says this in Luke chapter 16. He says, No one can serve two masters. He's speaking of money, but the principle applies. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The same thing is what, that's exactly what Paul's trying to say here. You can't serve both God and demons. Because in in. The type of this worship, there's this connection, this deep, intimate connection. And you can't have it with both of them, both two opposing forces at the same time. It does not work that way. There's so two kind of takeaways I, I want to get at this morning. The first is this. Um, and it, it concerns how we relate to God. We can't participate or have fellowship with both God and demons. It's the first thing I think maybe the biggest one that we take away from, from what we're this text today. We have to choose who we'll be connected to, who we will love and who we will serve. You cannot He said, Paul said in verse 21 of chapter 10, First Corinthians, "You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table, and the table of demons. So while the the sacrifice itself is nothing, and the idol is nothing, the demon is very real, and the worship is very real. You can't, you can't worship demons, and you can't worship God at the same time. It just doesn't work that way. Paul challenges the Corinthians to love Jesus, noting in verse 22, that if they choose to love demons, they will provoke God's anger. I mentioned earlier it's similar to like a marriage relationship. I, I can't be devoted to two spouses at the same time. can't be intimate with two spouses at the same time. I'm, one of them's going to have some of me and the other one's not. It's designed that one has all of you. There's no in-between. We have to choose. I think we need to... um, I think... There's a difference, I think, between falling into sin and choosing to To go into it, Um, choosing against God, and um, there's like a when you're choosing against God, there's a willful neglect against Him. And when we fall into sin, we get hurt, and it's not and when and we are accountable for that. But it's not that like we want it more than Him necessarily. There are places where we're weak and we fall and it's not something that we're proud of it takes time to recover from the wounds that we incur and we have to be healed um, John speaks this in 1 John he, chapter 2 he says my dear children i write this to you so that you will not sin but if anybody does sin we have an advocate with the father Jesus Christ the righteous one he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins not only for ours but also for the sins of the whole world when like Jesus covers over sin we need to be healed of it like but it's not that willful like decision against him. There's some there's like ones that we can fall to. But then we we can also choose against God, and enjoy kind of what we do. We can like want the sin more than we want Him. There, in that case, there's no real remorse. We may we may like have the facade of remorse. Like we may act like we're sorry, and we may even say the right things. Um, we may even act like we repent. Put down like when you peel away all the outside stuff, when you get down to what's really in your heart, you're not doing that. You're still enjoying it. You're still wanting it. You're still choosing it. John also talks about this in 1 John chapter 2. and He says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. He says, if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. You can't do both. Can't love demons? Choose to love demons and choose to love God at the same time. They're mutually exclusive. You can't come here on Sundays or to a Bible study throughout the week and act the part, say the right things, but not really have koinonia, fellowship, partnership with Christ. You can do all the right things and not have that partnership. And all those things will mean nothing. You can't keep one foot in God's kingdom and the other in the world. It's all in or not in. There's no in between. It's a deep personal partnership, an intertwining of Him with us and us with Him to the point where we are affected by Him, not just externally, but internally as well. And I think that that is hard for many of us, Um, but some of us more than others, because some of us come out of a background where we didn't have any kind of connection to church or to Christians, and you're giving up a lot to become a Christian, to be like all in. And I think some of us who grew up in the church don't really appreciate what some people have to give up. Some people have to give up even family. They have to give up friends and social circles. And if they give that up and they come all in, and they don't have like this deep partnership with God or this partnership with us, which we're going to get to in a second... There's real trouble. And that's the second thing. The second takeaway that I hope that we get from the scripture today is that um, how we relate to one another in the body of Christ. And Paul says in verses 16 and 17, is is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ, participating with Christ. And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ. Again, a connection with Christ. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share one loaf. There's participation with Jesus in the body of Christ when we become Christians. We're connected to Him. Intimately connected with Him. But we also become intimately connected with one another. Our fellowship with Christ, that participation with Christ that Paul talks about, that quininea with Christ, necessarily binds us to one another. There are no solo Christians. We can't do this on our own, and that's my concern. Some of us who we sometimes live on our own. Like this idea of koinonia, of that deep intimacy that um, that we described as almost the intimacy that a man has with a woman. Like I fear that we we legitimize, wrongfully legitimize reasons why we don't have to have that in the church today. We come up with all sorts of excuses about being busy. And we are, I get that. And just a thousand other things, work and family, and it's all important stuff, but if we are to take fellowship that we are to have with one another as seriously as Paul makes it out to be, I think it probably will begin to look a little bit different for us here at Living Legacy. And if we are serious about reaching the lost, those who are far from Christ, who have no connection with Christ, maybe who have never had any connection with Christ, and they come into the church and they don't have that type of intimacy, and yet they left behind this whole of their life, and they now have nothing but the church, but don't have that intimacy, they're going to have a lot of trouble. Because they're going to now be alone out there, and they're also going to be alone in here. And that's not how God designed his church to be. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So, the Lord's Supper symbolizes both of these realities, both of these truths, both of these takeaways that I'm getting at this morning. This deep, intimate connection with Christ that necessitates this deep, intimate connection with one another. And it makes us exclusive to Christ and to one another and does not allow room for us to be holding on to the world or to be worshiping the world or demons. Koinonia is more than a fellowship, this partnership that we're talking about, this connection we're talking about, is more than a fellowship meal once a month after worship. It's it's just more than that. It's praying for each other regularly, like intentionally praying for each other. I got in, I got several emails this week, which I'm super thankful for from some of you praying for me. That means more than you know. Like it, there's a great intentionality with that. Like it's having each other over for meals. It's going out for meals with each other. It's just hanging out and playing games. It's studying the word together. It's going to coffee together. It's like it, it's when somebody is in crisis at 3 a.m. as well. You're there for them. It's the big things and the small things. It's all of it together. I was talking with Mickey this week, and we were just sharing about family and like what really makes a family strong. And we were both saying how one of the core things to making a family strong—it's not like magic. It's not—it's—it's <laughs> it's not like this silver bullet kind of thing. It's one of the major things is just spending time together, and not like. Intentional time where you're just like playing like games together as a family, or going on walks together and having deep conversations. It's just like taking the kids with you when you go to the grocery store, and you know when when you're going into the garage to work on something to do that, or dragging them outside when they don't want to go and doing lawn work with you. Like it's like I know all the kids are like no, (laughs) like but like it's like just being together strengthens a family. The same thing is true of the family of God. Part of a big part of koinonia, of partnership is just being together. So, there's. I'm going to close with this illustration. Um, there are these trees. They're called sequoias, and they grow in California. They're huge trees. They grow up to 300 feet tall and 100 feet wide. I, mean, I just can't even. Picture that. Some of you have probably seen them. Um, they're just massive, massive trees. And the sequoia is like super resistant to pests and fire. Um, so they don't really usually die from that. Actually, they're, the, the greatest cause of death for them is falling down, like winds blowing them down. And um, uh, <laughs> it's interesting. The way they protect against that is... Sequoias have this root system that doesn't go deep at all. It only goes 6 to 20 feet deep, which for a tree of that size is not deep at all. The roots actually go out, and they grow in groves, and they go out sometimes up to a mile out from where the tree is. And all the sequoias have roots doing this, so all their roots are doing this together. They're so intertwined so that when winds come, they hold each other together so they don't fall over. If you have a sequoia planted by itself, it won't last because it doesn't have the support of the other sequoias keeping it grounded, protecting it. That's like the perfect image of what fellowship, of what partnership, of what koinonia in the church is supposed to be. We are supposed to be intimately intertwined with Christ. And that necessitates an intimate intertwining of each other so that when difficulty comes, when struggle comes, when joy comes, we do it all together and we survive. We don't just survive, but we thrive. That's how God has designed His church. Not to be individuals, but to be united in Him. And because we're united in Him, united together. And that's, in part, what this celebration, what the Lord's Supper symbolizes it symbolizes unity with Christ first we are celebrating and identifying with him as we as we remember we take the bread which symbolizes his body which was broken for us and 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 we identify with him we participate with him through this meal and then we take the cup which again ours is grape juice but it symbolizes his his blood which was shed for us and when we take it we we, we identify with, we participate with Him. It's, it's symbolic, yes, but it goes deeper than that because we, we live it. And we all eat from one body or one bread, Paul says, symbolizing our unity together. Unity with Christ, unity with each other. That is the church. And that is two of the primary messages of the Lord's Supper. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper today. Um, I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. Maybe just play something quietly for us just for a minute or two. The scripture um, does tell us to kind of like search our hearts to, to make sure we're right with the Lord and with each other before we come to take this meal. And so I want to encourage us for a minute. We're just going to have some music playing, and you can pray. Um, you want to pray in your seats, that's great. If you want to come forward, that's great. If you want to go back to one of the tables in the back and pray, that's awesome. If you need to talk with somebody, if like something's just not right between you and somebody else, and you're just like, I just need to settle that before I go and, and celebrate. Because if I don't, we're not going to have unity together when we celebrate. And that's a key component of what we're doing today. We want to invite you to do that with that other person. Um, probably not text them. you know. Like If they're here, you can talk to them. Like If not... Just settle with the Lord that you're going to do it quickly afterward. Um, if you need somebody to pray with you, Scott, who's in the back corner here, um, he'll be back in the back. He can pray with you, and I'll be up here for a moment. I'll pray with you. But let's take some, just a moment, just a minute, to pray. Um, get right with the Lord, with each other, so that we can come in unity with him and with one another to celebrate what Jesus has done for us. Guys, if you don't mind playing something, I'll close us with a corporate prayer the end of that time. But let's take some time and pray. Father, we confess today that we have um, not been all that we should be. We have broken your heart probably many ways throughout the course of this past month since we've celebrated um, last. We just would humbly ask in Jesus' name that you would forgive us. You would wash us clean. You would set us right. Father, we trust in, in what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross and through the empty grave. Not in our own works, our own merit, our own abilities. They're nothing. But you, you provide everything. So today, we we just thank you for for cleansing us. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for uniting us through your Son. We pray, Lord, as as we celebrate today, we could come to it with joyful, sincere, broken hearts. And that we could come together your body, to worship you as your people, as your family, and honor the sacrifice you have made for us, where so we celebrate you today as we remember what you have accomplished for us on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, in your name, amen. So, um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10... 15 to, 6 to 17 I speak to sensible people judge for yourself is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation a participation in the blood of Christ and is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ because there is one loaf we who are many are one body for we all share the same loaf Today we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper a little bit differently. We have one bread, we have one cup, symbolizing our unity with one another and with Christ, our our unity. And what we're going to ask is that you come forward this morning by the center aisle. Uh, Scott and I will be down front here. One of us will have the bread and we will break a piece off and hand it to you. And um, we'll probably say something like, this is Christ's body broken for you. Um, and you can say amen, praise God, hallelujah, or just take it silently. It's all fine. And then you can take it and you'll dip it in the cup. Try not to go too deep. Like, don't get your fingers in there. Um, but if you do, it's okay. Um, dip in there, take it out, and then you can eat it immediately. You can hold on to it and take it back to your chair if you want um, and eat it there. Um You can pray up front if you'd like. You can pray at the tables in the back if you just need some personal time. If you'd like somebody to pray with you, like, you know, we're talking about unity today. That'd be awesome, and we would love to do that. Um, You can grab somebody to do that with you. Um, But let us remember what we're doing. We're not celebrating ourselves. We're not remembering ourselves. We're remembering Jesus and what he accomplished for us on the cross. And we're doing it together. Our unity in him and our unity with one another. So we invite, I'm going to invite Scott to come forward. As you come down the aisle, again, you'll get the bread and the cup, and then you can process down either side you'd like to return to your seat. We'll celebrate together. half. Christ's body is broken. His blood was shed. Let's celebrate together what Jesus has accomplished for us. Will you come? Will you celebrate? Let's worship.
1: shed for you praise God Bradley his bloodshed for you brother Dawson' bloodshed for you brother and his bloodshed for you Jack and his bloodshed for you shed for you. Shed for you, Bob. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Body and his blood shed for you, God. Praise God. His broken body for you. And his blood shed for you. First And his blood shed for you. First <laughs> broken body for you. And his blood shed for you, just that. Bloodshed for you. Price broke the it. And it's bloodshed for you. It. And it's bloodshed for you, Mickey. broken body. It. and it's bloodshed for you. Buddy. You're welcome, Amen. Get out. the body. And it's bloodshed for you, Cindy. Shed for you. And his blood shed for you. First broke the body. And it's blood shed for you. Fresh First broken body. And it's blood shed for you. Christ broke the body for you. And it's blood shed for you. First broke the body for you. And it's blood shed for you, brother. Amen. And his blood shed for Blood shed for you. Amen. Christ broken And His blood shed for you, brother. Christ broken And His blood shed for you, brother. Amen. Amen. Christ broken body. Thank you. That is blood shed for you. Thank you. Amen. Nice broke Ramona has blood shed for you. Praise God. Christ broken and his blood shed for you. Praise God.
0: Hasn't yet been able to make a commitment for themselves. So the parent took him around and all of a sudden just started bawling because they couldn't have the bread and the juice. And um, I love that because I think that should be us, right? Like if we couldn't have Jesus or didn't have Jesus, we, we should just be torn up, like overwhelmed with grief because we are dead. But we are now on the flip side of that, right? And we should be overwhelmed with joy and crying nonetheless, but overwhelmed with joy. Because we have life in Jesus. So maybe we can sing one more. Okay, Uh, just a small part of this. I'm not musical, so I don't even know if it's a chorus or what it is. But we're going to sing one more section of this. Uh, If you want to rise, let's worship before we go. Let's worship together uh, our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh. As you go, go in the grace of God knowing that you can't have one foot in with him and one foot in with the world. It's all in or all out. But if you're all in, you're all in it together. And that together we can do anything with his help and his empowerment. May God bless you and go in the grace and mercy and strength of Christ.